Well, I invite you to turn with me to Ruth chapter 3. Uh, remember, we're focusing on these three pages of a thousand-page uh, book, right? We're looking at three little pages uh, in these three little lives and what's going on in their story. Remember, this is a story that happens when the judges ruled. And what was going on when the judges ruled? Well, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. It says in the book of Judges four different times. The people uh, we, that were, were intermarrying with the other cultures that God had said, don't intermarry with these other cultures. Remember, God gave them the Ten Commandments. Then he said, Joshua into the promised land. And he said, get rid of all those people because they're worshiping pagan gods and they're, they're going to trap you and they're going to make you stumble. But they didn't get rid of all the people. And so they began to do business with them and intermarry with them. And then so what would happen is that they would be uh, under oppression by these gods. They would be enslaved to them. And they would cry out then to God, Lord, we need your help, we need your help. And so God would raise up a judge. And the judge would lead them to military victory uh, and also encourage them in their faith. But then again, what would happen is they'd be caught again. And they would cry out again. But each time it got worse and worse. And so uh, we, we hear this story about Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. And they're living in this time. It's when the judges ruled. And there was a famine in the land. Remember, there was a famine in the land of Judah, the land of promise. Uh, in Bethlehem, which means house of bread, there was no bread. And so Elimelech, the beginning of the story, Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, doesn't live as though his God is king. He goes to Moab, a, a group of people that were not favored. They were disobedient. They were not true Israelites. And so they, he goes to live among them. And he, there he allows his sons to be married to these two Moabite women and then Elimelech, Mahlon, and Kilion, all of the men die, and so there's three widows that are left, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. Ruth makes this wonderful, uh, grand gesture to go with Naomi back to the Promised Land because the Lord had then visited His people. And we saw two weeks ago that Ruth worked faithfully, she served faithfully, and she cared for her mother-in-law in a wonderful way because she was extremely vulnerable. She would have uh, been at great risk as a Moabite living in Israel. There was no prospect for her to be married, no prospect for her to find eternal rest, for to find redemption, because she was a Moabite. And yet she sacrificed of her very self. And now she is serving her mother-in-law. And, and two weeks ago, I, I dealt with this little non-controversial subject about immigration. And uh, I thought this week I'd continue on with a non-controversial subject with, with mothers and mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws. Uh, that's a part of our story this morning. So I invite you to turn with me to uh, Ruth chapter 3. As I read along, let's find ourselves in this story and hear what God is saying to us uh, this morning. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter. Think about that, how Naomi is even describing Ruth in this uh, beautiful, familiar, familial term. My daughter. Should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. 
Now, see, Naomi realizes uh, that Boaz is a worthy man, uh, a man of standing. Uh, we talked about this a little bit before. He is one of those people that is set apart from the rest of the world because in a, in a world where everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes, here we have a man of character, a man of faith, a man of purpose. But he's also a near relative. Now, if you remember in those days, the way that the Lord would provide for a widow was if a brother or a near relative of the widow would marry her so that she could be provided for because there was no opportunity for her really to work. And this would also allow the family name to continue on. Naomi realizes that Boaz is such a man and that he has already shown them this great kindness in welcoming Ruth, the Moabite, into his field, allowing her to drink from their vessels and being very generous with his crops for her. And so, Naomi seeks rest for her daughter-in-law. The word rest is a place of tranquility, a place of repose. It, it refers to the condition, uh, the security, and rest afforded to a woman who was married in the Israelite culture. And so we're beginning to see that Naomi is undergoing a transformation here as well. She at first was a disobedient Israelite who had left uh, Judah to go into Moab. And then she becomes an embittered woman. Remember, she said, the Lord's hand is against me. Call me Mara, which literally means bitter. And now she is a woman who is seeking God's provision. She is acting boldly to seek an arrangement for her, her daughter-in-law, which was the custom in those days. And so we can tell that the harvest is over and the threshing has begun. Threshing is that time when the grains were, were crushed. And so the kernel, whether it was wheat or barley, would be separated from the chaff in some way. Often they would stand on it or they would allow oxen to walk over to crush those kernels to separate it. And then they would throw it up into the air where they would winnow it. And so when the wind would blow, the chaff would blow away and the kernel, the valuable part, the fruit would drop to the ground and they would have their produce. And often they would do this in the late afternoon or early evening when the, the breeze would blow. That was the time when they did this. And so once the work was done, then the men would, would gather together and they would stay to eat and drink and dance. But the women, they had already gone home. And because they were living at a time when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, it made sense for the person who owned all that valuable property, the landowner, to stay overnight, to protect it, to sleep there, so that it would not be stolen. So the Naomi presents this plan that is counter-cultural. You know, women were not present during these revelries. And since Boaz, evidently, was not getting it, he hadn't made any moves himself so Naomi is guiding Ruth. Now just think about this for a second. Think about this plan that Naomi is giving to Ruth. Prepare yourself. Wash yourself. Go to the place where the men are. Lie down. Uncover his feet. It's not really readily apparent in the text is the suggestion that's made by lie down and uncover his feet. And there are other places in Scripture that suggest a, a certain kind of intimacy there. And so we think about this tension uh, that is occurring at this moment. 
uh, in this space, in this place, we realize that, well, Boaz had more than one option when Naomi comes, or when Ruth comes. You know, he possibly could mock her request. Maybe he could say, well, you're just trying to be with me, a powerful landowner. And you, a Moabite, a widow, poor Moabite. Maybe he would see her attempt at just a vain social climbing to try to gain some kind of status. Sta- status. Maybe he would think that she wasn't doing enough to secure a marriage covenant. Even though she had been working hard, she is ultimately failing her family by not pursuing a husband before this. Or, or worse, he could use this moment when Ruth is very vulnerable. He could take advantage of her and bring upon her a great humiliation. And so you wonder if Ruth is thinking, there's got to be a better way to do this. Naomi, can't you just call him? You know, maybe send him a text message or something or, or a letter. Why don't you go over there and connect with him? Why, why do I have to go at night at this time? Can't you call his mom? I mean, he's a man of standing, right? Isn't there some other way that we can make this arrangement? Why this crazy late night plan with so much risk? Well, well we don't know. We don't know the answer to that, but we know that there's tension here. What is Ruth going to do? And listen to her response to her mother-in-law. Verse 5. All that you say I will do. All that you say I will do. And and recognize this, that that Naomi to this point in the story has not really demonstrated herself to be a wonderful, faithful Israelite woman who understands and is connected to God and knows the right thing to do all the time. We often see Ruth demonstrating more faith than Naomi. Naomi. And yet, Ruth says, all that you do, I will say. So, what's going to happen? What is going to happen here with, with Boaz? How is he going to respond? Will, will the plan go through or will she falter? This is the moment that she's waiting for. This is an exciting, this is drama right here in the Old Testament. But before we find out what happens, I think it is worth it, since we are on Mother's Day, to talk just for a second on family relationships here. Uh, Mother's Day, of course, is a day that we celebrate our moms, but, but notice that it's not Mother-in-Law's Day, right? It's Mother's Day, it's not Mother-in-Law's Day. And unfortunately for many, look, Parker's leaving right now. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> unfortunately for many, mother-in-law relationships aren't that great. I know Parker has a great relationship with his mother-in-law, but they can be hard. All relationships can be difficult, but especially mother-in-law, daughter-in-law uh, relationships. They can be difficult. We think about Naomi. You know, was Ruth really the daughter-in-law that she had envisioned? Was she the one that she really wanted when she, was a, um, when she first had her son and she was living in Israel? Did she think, you know, hey, my son might, mo- might marry a Moabite. Wouldn't that be great? Probably not. But you see, Ruth loved Naomi and demonstrated kindness to her. And and Naomi, even despite the bitterness that she experienced toward the Lord, she still trusts God and wants to help and to encourage her daughter-in-law because she has seen the kind of love that Ruth has demonstrated for her. And she knows that's the way that she should be toward Ruth. We see this transformation that happens. We think about Ruth. You know, Ruth didn't fall in love with Naomi. She fell in love with her husband, Naomi's son. But we all know that this, those of us who are married, when you get married, you don't just marry one person, do you? you? You marry a whole family. All the crazy people in the family, too. 
So you get the mother-in-law. Not to say that the mother-in-laws are crazy, because I love mine. Let the record show. This is being recorded. But we see that, that Ruth married into a family. And she married into that struggle. And so by connecting herself to this disobedient family, then she had to suffer some of the consequences that went along with that. And yet, though she married into a family of faith, as weak as their faith was, Ruth was connected there. And so she gave this wonderful kindness. She said, I'm going to leave my gods, I'm going to leave my people to be with you, Naomi, to provide for you and to care for you. And so even now, even though, even though Naomi's bitterness and her lack of faith in the Lord, we still see Ruth honoring her mother-in-law. And that's a pretty f- profound thing. I guess what this says to me is that you may not have gotten the daughter-in-law that you wanted. You may not have gotten the mother-in-law that you wanted. But it's the one you've got. And the opportunity for us is to say, Lord, You are sovereign. You are good. And I believe that You are working in my life and in the life of my, ch- my child, my son, or my daughter. And that You can accomplish something wonderful in this relationship. It's not the circumstances that You're in. But it's the trust that you have that God can work even in a relationship that may be broken, that may be difficult. Maybe your mother-in-law relationship is not very good. But how can you be like Ruth to serve and love and care for her even if she has become embittered? A lot of lessons that we can, that we can learn from this story. But here's the drama. Here it comes. Verse 6. Are you excited? I'm excited. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went down to lie at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Here's the dramatic moment. Here is the climactic point of the whole story. Ruth has made herself vulnerable. She is at great risk, and she's asking, she's acting with bold faith. We see that at one time Ruth can submit herself to another, and yet also act with great faith and with great courage. Boaz is startled in the night, and to his surprise, there's a young woman laying at his feet. Who are you? She responds, I am Ruth. I am your servant. See, even though Ruth is in a very humble posture, she uses a word for servant that is different than she used earlier in the book in chapter 2, verse 13. It's a different word. It's translated servant sometimes in both tra- in, in English. But the word she uses here is a higher status than the previous word that she used for servant. Before, it meant a, a possession or a, a laborer. But the word she uses now is of a higher social class. A woman who could be a potential marriage partner. It also emphasized her feminine qualities and her uh, attractiveness. And so Ruth says to Boaz, spread your wings over the corner of your, or your, or your corner of your garment over your servant. And look back at chapter 2 verse 12. Boaz says this, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What Ruth is doing is asking Boaz to fulfill the promise that he made there in chapter 2. That word for wing can mean garment. 
It's a powerful image. It, 97 times in the Bible that word appears. And it's the protection of the Lord for His people. Boaz has the opportunity to bless Ruth in the way that he had asked the Lord to bless her. And so the reason that she is asking him is because he is a redeemer, a, a close relative, a kinsman redeemer. Remember I mentioned that in those days when the, a woman was widowed, she was very vulnerable. And so the law stipulated that the nearest adult male blood relative could serve as her advocate to carry on her name and to provide for her. And the basic meaning of the term is to redeem, to buy back, to recover, or to restore. It is the one who can fulfill what's called the Leverite marriage. This person is one who can extend, extend said this covenant loyalty, this kindness. And right now, it's up to Boaz to respond. He is the one that has the power. What will he do? He's not forced to do anything. But he's a man of standing. He's a worthy man. How does he respond? Verse 10, he says, And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after the young man, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yes! Boaz, he's seen the faith of Ruth and he is acting on her behalf. In spite of those around him who are doing what is right in their own eyes. Succumbing to the temptation of culture. Looking out for only himself. Taking what you want and making a name for yourself. Boaz! is walking in obedience to the law of God. Indeed, he is a worthy man. A man of standing. You know, it's so easy for us just to read through these verses and fail to realize the significance of what is happening here. But you think about this, Boaz essentially will be giving up a part of his life, a part of his income, his, his inheritance, a part of his own security to care for not only Ruth, but, but Naomi. And while there are some clues in the text that there might be a, a genuine, uh, romantic kind of connection between the two, uh, the, the commitment to Ruth is not just a romantic feeling. Not just a desire to be married, although that's quite likely. Boaz is responding in obedience to the Word of God in this situation. And it's going to cost him something. I mean, how many of us realize that when we engage in relationships, they cost us something, don't they? It takes something out of us to be in relationships. Whether it's a marriage or even a friendship or uh, as a parent or within the church, relationships cost us something. They, they take our time and they take our en energy. We need to communicate. Sometimes they're frustrating. Sometimes they're infuriating. But we see that, that just like when Naomi makes this plan for Ruth and when Ruth exercises the plan for Boaz that, that love and I don't just mean the happy feeling of romantic love but love obedience to the will of God love makes the first move love is the one that is actively pursuing relationship here and so for us as we consider Mother's Day relationships or marriage relationships are the difficulty there love makes the first move maybe you have been hurt maybe you are struggling with something but see we, didn't, we don't have a God that waited for us to turn it around. He came to us. And so I would encourage you, if you have brokenness in relationships in your life right now, 
that you would be willing to be the one that initiates relationship, to initiate forgiveness, to make the first move. Ruth did. That's what Jesus did. So here we see that Boaz is going to redeem Ruth. It looks like we're headed to a happy ending, doesn't it? But not so fast. Look what Boaz says. Oh no, verse 12. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I, somebody who else has access. Remain tonight and in the morning, and if he will redeem you, someone else can redeem Ruth. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. There's more drama to the story. There's a a redeemer that is nearer than I. Meaning that there's a closer relative that has the option to marry Ruth before Boaz. Oh no! Someone else could marry her. The woman Boaz desires could be taken away. But here again we see his character. He understands and knows what the Word of God says. And he is willing to be obedient to God's Word, even if it means that thing that he wants, that thing that he desires, would be taken away from him. He's trusting in the providence of God. He knows the law and he's willing to submit to it. He knows that the law is there for his benefit. And disobedience to the law will bring about only his frustration. We see Boaz's character come out again. Then verse 14, she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So he held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. Boaz continuing to pour out his generosity with another wonderful gift. Verse 16, and when when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will sell the matter today. Naomi, in in this question that she asked in verse 16, she literally says, Who are you? Who are you? She's not seeking uh, information about her physical identity because she already calls her daughter in in the passage twice. But she's asking about her inner identity. She's asking the question, how do you define yourself? Are you a member of this family? Have you been rejected? Remember, in that day, people were identified because of their family. That was really significant for them. Naomi wants to know, is Ruth part of the family? And we just see the transformation that has happened in Naomi's life. Again, she's gone from a disobedient person to an embittered person to a woman who is trusting and believing in the God of the Bible. Her husband had died and her two sons and she was left with nothing. She called herself bitter. But now she has a one beautiful daughter that loves her, that's caring for her, that's being provided for her. We see in the text in Naomi as she is willing to humble herself, then she is exalted. God often works in ways that we can't anticipate. And think about this. This is a really interesting story because often in our lives when we face challenges and we're, we're struggling, no matter what you're struggling with right now, maybe it's financial burdens or relational challenges, you know, often we want God just to strike lightning and intervene in a powerful, miraculous way and just all of a sudden everything to be changed. But we see in this text, we see in the story, that God is calling us to live faithfully day by day in the difficult times, in the challenges, when it seems like there is no hope, there's nothing that we can move on, we can hold on to for the next day. God just says, just continue to walk with me. 
continue to trust me because I am the God who is working in three little pages in the Bible. I'm working in these people's lives. I'm working in your life. I care about you, about what's going on with you. Don't give up. And the, the reason that we, we should never give up is because we have a God who has initiated with us. You know, we see this uh, covenant loyalty, this kindness, or said that God demonstrates for us. You know, we're in relationship with God because we are image bearers. We've been given this profound commitment by God. You know, God recognized our need for redemption and He acts. You know, the Bible says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, Jesus chose to come. He was not forced to lay down His life. He chose to do so. Jesus lays down His life at the gate to protect the sheep, just as Boaz lays down His life to protect His own crops. Jesus says, I lay down my life. No one does it for me. Jesus goes above and beyond the call of duty. It's performed for someone like you and I who is in a situationally weaker position. We're caught in sin. We're broken. We're struggling. Our lives are a mess. And yet Jesus comes, even to us who are mired in sin. You see, we don't need a new philosophy. We need a Redeemer. We need Jesus. So I just want to conclude with this, this last story that I think pictures uh, redemption in a significant way. Um, there was a gathering of friends at an English estate and it nearly turned into a tragedy when one of the children strayed out into the deep water. The gardener heard cries for help and he plunged in and he rescued this drowning child. Uh, the name of that child was Winston Churchill. And the grateful parents asked the gardener, if, uh, you know, what can we do to reward you for saving our son? And he hesitated for just a second and he said, I, I want my own son to be able to, uh, to go to college, to someday be, to become a doctor. Well, we'll see to it, Churchill's parents promised. And years later, while Sir Winston was a Prime Minister of England, he was stricken with pneumonia. The country's best physician was summoned. His name was Dr. Alexander Fleming, uh, the man who discovered and developed penicillin. He was also the son of that gardener who had saved young Winston from drowning. Later, Churchill remarked, Rarely has one man owed his life twice to the same person. And yet, don't you and I owe our lives twice to the same person? The great God of the universe who created us and made us in His image. God has given us life in this world uh, through our mothers and then life in eternity through the second birth that He has given to us through the redemption of His Son, Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me?